You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of The Process. All right, all right, here we go, man. Here we go, man. Listen, let's welcome everybody to The Process. The Process is way more important than the product. Man, y'all wouldn't believe who I have as our guest this week. A former teammate of mine, man, a, a mountain of a man, man. Got Trent Green, Trent Green, um, multi-year um, NFL quarterback, played for the Redskins, the Rams, the Chiefs, as everybody knows, played for the Chiefs, um, and then a, and a number of other teams. They had Pro Bowls, man. L- listen, we'll get into all that, but but first we got to do. And we were and we were teammates on two teams. And we was teammates we were two, teammates. two teams, yes. Uh, all, 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 we go way back. <laughs> <laughs> we go way back. Um, so before we do anything, man, the McGinnis Group, obviously we always got to thank our title sponsor, McGinnis Group. Yes, I do work for the McGinnis Group. Um, at the McGinnis Group, we specialize in employee benefits, health insurance for companies, retirement packages, um, other services like life insurance, and also long-term health care. We would love an opportunity to take an examination of your company or your personal uh, health benefits package because together, everyone achieves more. That's T-E-A-M. And at the McGinnis Group, MGI, we are a team, T-E-A-M. And so we always like to believe that together, everyone achieves more. And without further ado, we're going to jump into it. Everybody who watches this show, man, we always start the same way. The who, the what, and the where. Who is Trent Green? What is he doing now? And then where can people find him on social media if he's on it? Uh, all right. Here we go. Uh, and first off, if you guys are interested in the McGinnis group, they've got some good golfers over there, oh, too. Yeah. So they, they, uh, uh, Scott be, they wouldn't Matt be, McGinnis. They wouldn't be shy about going out for a round of golf and talking business, either. So, you yeah. got a low handicap, yeah. man. Let us know. Guys. Give us yeah. a call. Give us some good guys. Uh, all right, so what am I up to now? Uh, so, yeah, you're right. I, I played in the NFL for 15 years, a uh, number of different teams. Uh, but spent most of my career here in Kansas City uh, and Washington. Those were the, the two teams I was with the most. So um, we live here in Kansas City. Uh, we ended up staying here. Uh, my final season was 2008 with the Rams. Uh, at the end of that season, we decided as a family to, to move back to Kansas City because that's where our daughter Janelle was born, who's now a senior in high school. Uh, our boys, this is where they, they were raised. And uh, so the friends, the teams, the and we had spent uh, a lot of years here uh, from a playing standpoint. So uh, Julie and I, my wife, uh, we decided that this was uh, the best spot to raise the family. And so, yeah, we've been here for a long time. Um, the boys have made it through high school and they're in college, uh, out of college now. And then, uh, like I said, our daughter Janelle is uh, a senior in high school and she'll be heading off to college here soon. So about to be an empty nester. Um, and then uh, and then I got into the broadcasting world. Mm. I wasn't sure what I was going to do when I was done playing. Uh, it, uh, it just was an opportunity that came up. Uh, I tried radio, I tried, uh, studio, I tried, uh, games. Um, and now I've kind of fallen into the games mode. I still do some studio stuff, but, but now it's more, uh, more doing games. So I've been, this is my 10th season with CBS. Uh, it's been great, a great run. I worked, uh, six years, uh, six years with Greg Gumbel, uh, as my play-by-play guy. And now this, I'm in my fourth season with, uh, with Kevin Harlan. Um, another Kansas City guy. So uh, yeah, it's it's been a great run. I've I've really enjoyed it. Uh, keeps me close to the game, but then uh, allows me some time, you know, in the off season to be the volleyball dad that uh, <laughs> that I want to be. Um, so that yeah, that's a lot of fun. Um, social media wise, I'm only I'm only an X guy. Okay, all X guy. X, so X the new Twitter. Yes, the new yes. Twitter. So uh, uh, at Trent Green Ten is my uh, is my X handle, I guess, but. Uh, <laughs> But I'm not a I'm not a huge social media guy. As you hey, as you as you know, shop. The reoccurring theme of all our guests, because we all former players, is most of them are smart enough to know that man, being on social media is, is not it's not a benefit. It's, it's just it's it's good to surf and keep track of some yeah uh, what other people are doing. Like, yeah, I follow a bunch of people, but I don't have many people follow me because I ain't really doing that much worth sharing on social media. I share things with my family and my friends, and that's about it. And that, that circle stays pretty close. <laughs> and I think that's the, the the one of the things that are re- reoccurring in being a, a successful uh, ex-athlete transitioning out of the game is you got to realize, like, man, like, uh, everybody is not, like, we are not the sun. Everybody doesn't revolve around us. 
we're just cogs in this thing, man. If we, if we can spread a little light, spread a little love, and keep things moving, um, that's really what we want to do. So you mentioned and today, yeah, and that's the that's the thing that I think a lot of players, former players, have a hard time transitioning, right? Because your whole time growing up, you know, you're the guy, right? Because no matter what community you grew up in, city you grew up in, I mean, to get to the NFL at the early stages, you were probably a star, whether it be your little league, high school, on up. So you go through this process of always being the guy. And then whether it's a one-year career in the NFL or whether it's a 15-year or a 20-year career or, or anywhere in between, when you're done, you all of a sudden got to find that next piece to transition to. And, and that's what a lot of uh, a lot of former players have had, had a hard time with. And a lot of former players have had tremendous success uh, finding different avenues and different outlets. And so uh, it is. It's, it's having an impact. Uh, that's something that I always felt was important is – uh, God bless me with the ability to play football and, and with that format, uh, you got to do some good. So not only, uh, uh, you know, I'm not only doing the, the stuff with, with media, uh, mm-hmm. as far as CBS, but, you know, do a lot of stuff here in the community for, for a number of years, Julie and I have. So, yeah. um, it's important for us. That's a, That's an important part of it. And we'll talk in the third set. We'll talk about some of the things you're doing charitable, obviously mentioning, uh, tree green, Foundation, and you're working with the Ronald, Ronald McDonald House and their yep. charities and the golf tournament stuff. Uh, we always have a fun time. All the alumni coming to support. Yes, but uh, I, I mean uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. <laughs> That's is right. that is that is that the growing and raised? That was uh, yeah, that was where I was born. So my parents were born and raised there. Uh, I was born there, lived there probably five years. I think kindergarten. I think I got up to kindergarten, and then uh, my dad got transferred. We moved over to uh, Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, where Illinois State University is. We were in a little town in between Bloomington and Carlock. Uh, so I was at a little uh, little elementary school there. And then fifth grade, uh, we moved to St. Louis. So I tell people I grew up in St. Louis because we were there, you know, all the way from 10 years old until until I off to college. So, all yeah. right. Yep. Drafted by the San Diego Chargers. Yep. Um, eighth, they don't got eight rounds. I know. They don't. Yeah. They don't. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it only goes to seven rounds now, right. so you was in one of those. Uh, and I was uh, third to last pick, so uh, I was almost, almost I was almost Mister Irrelevant. I almost got the parade. I was like, if you're gonna go that late, you might as well get in the parade or something. But uh, yeah, it took a while. Well, even from being drafted, though, the the actual start of your NFL career, even that was, you know, you, you get there and no one really kick it off. You go to the uh, BC Lions for a little bit, yep. and then you come to Washington, right, yep. at the Redskins. That's where me and you first became teammates, right. um, the uh, Washington Redskins, who are now the Commanders. Um, but then that's when you, you, your your career kind of takes off. You start rolling there. Um, unfortunately, um, an injury right um, deters that that season. Yeah, um, you come to Kansas City. Kansas City in two thousand one. So yeah, it was, it was it was a crazy start to the career. You know, everybody, um, especially now in the broadcasting world and, and living here in Kansas City. People want me to draw parallels with what Patrick's going through, and I'm like, "Well, this is a whole this is a whole different deal." Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't start until I was 27. I didn't get my first start until I was 27. I didn't even, um, I really didn't even get to play until I was 27. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, actually I didn't get my first start until I was 28. That was the '98 season. So uh, as you said, I was one year in San Diego, uh, got cut, spent a few weeks up in Canada, uh, got cut. Um, ended up signing with Washington, was there four years, got an opportunity to play. Ended up, um, after that 98 season as a free agent, signed with the Rams. Things were rolling along. We were going great. Greatest show on turf was just getting started. Uh, and then I and then I blew my knee out. And uh, and so ended up backing up Kurt Warner, and we won a Super Bowl that year, and he got MVP and all those kind of things. So I understood what was going on and what my opportunity was going to be or lack of opportunity. So I talked with... Mike Martz, who was the head coach at the time, because Coach Vermeil had retired, mm-hmm. and uh, and just said, "Hey, if there's an opportunity out there uh, for me to play, I'm getting that stage in my career where I, where I want to and, and need to play." And so, fortunately for me, Coach Vermeil came out of retirement prior to the 2001 season, and uh, and kind of made things happen with Carl Peterson, and they got the trade done. And so then, yeah, that had a nice six year run here in Kansas City. We talk about that trade. You actually got traded for the twelfth overall draft pick. I mean, that's not that's not <laughs> nothing to be. Uh, that's no shabby right. trade. Now right. you didn't get traded for just a 
a box of uh, bubble gum. And- so go over the 222nd pick to the 12th, you said? That, that's yeah, a, I mean, yeah. man, you talk about appreciation right. and value. Right. Um, Took a long time and, to get there. And and I think Kansas a lot of work. still, still <laughs> got the best end of that deal. Um, yes, traded for the 12th overall pick. Um, you have four consecutive seasons with a 90-plus quarterback rating. That included a 2005 Pro Bowl when you have 4,010 4, yards, only 10 interceptions, and also – at, you know, then after that 2007 season, you were training to Miami. Yes. But going, let's let's focus on that 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 Chiefs um, span of four seasons. Okay. Four seasons of 90 plus, like having a 90 point something above quarterback rating rating is what every offensive coordinator is looking for right now. Right. They want consistency. They want touchdowns. You know, two touchdowns to one turnover type ratio. They want right. completion percentage. They want the yardage. Um, the air yardage, um, understanding how offenses flow. I think that we all like. I talked to Billy Baber and Eddie Kennison and uh, Kevin Lockett, and we talked about when when Al Saunders was here, that offense that was being run um, in the early two thousands. It was like years right. of w- what everybody else was doing. Right. The concepts, mm-hmm. the timing. Um, I, I still say today, um, I've seen top three quarterback on the field. In preparation, all delivery, understanding defense, and it's nobody that anybody else thinks it's Trent Green because on the practice field, I saw how you move defenders with your eyes. I saw how you anticipated routes. I saw how you could throw on time and off time. You had the mobility to buy extra time, which we had one of the greatest offensive lines. So it, right. I don't know if you really needed to avoid the pocket much. <laughs> right, right. And then you pair that up with the ground game we had with. Uh, Priest Holmes, yep. and then Priest and LJ, yeah, Priest and yeah. LJ, yeah. and then a in a reliable option like Tony Gonzalez, right? So all all of those uh, uh, ingredients, I think I was witnessed on the practice field every day practicing against one of the most potent, effective, consistent offenses that have ever been on the NFL field. When you add all of those pieces together, well, and and thank you for saying all that. It's uh, a lot of hard work went into that. Uh, a lot of practice, a lot of time, um, and it doesn't. It didn't come quickly. I mean, those are those are things you have to learn as a player, as a coaching staff, as a, as an offensive unit. Uh, we had we had some great offenses. You just mentioned all the the Hall of Famers, uh, Pro Football Hall of Famers, Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Famers. Um, we put up a lot of points. It was. Uh, yeah, it was a fun offense to be a part of, and and there was a, a lot that went into it, the timing of it. And that's really, you know, you brought up some of the numbers, and the numbers, it's funny how, like, throughout the course of, throughout the course of history of the NFL, like, the numbers, like, when I first came in the league, is like, if you could complete 55%, that was good. If you completed 60%, that was great. Mm-hmm. So my goal was to complete 60%. Why complete 60%? Well, nowadays, 60% is like, if you complete 60%, you're like in the bottom, yeah, yeah, maybe fifth of the league or something. Like guys are seventy percent now, yes. so it's like the game has changed, and and uh, the quick passing game is a lot different now than what it was. We were more, as you said, uh, the running game, uh, the play action pass, pushing the ball up the field. We our progressions were mainly reading high to low, mm-hmm. as opposed to now. There's a lot of the quick stuff. You know, get it out of your hands. Oh, if it's not there and you got the protection, then push it down the field. Uh, so there's, I mean, the game has evolved and the game has changed, and so it's. Uh, uh, but there was a lot of timing that went into that. There was uh, my whole thing, and guys learned quickly. Uh, I'm the one with the ball, <laughs> so I determine where it's going to go. And I, I don't know if Eddie's ever told you this, uh, but Eddie, when he first got here and towards the end of the 2001 season, uh, at practice one time, he he like slowed down on the backside, and I was like, he came back to huddle. I said. What what did what did you do? He goes, Well, I'm on the backside of the read. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I said, I decide where it's going. I know what the progression is, but if I see the defense do something, I'm coming that I'm getting I'm coming to you because I'm I'm aware of where all the pieces are. And so uh he took that uh and and he he just he became that reliable wide receiver that was always in the right spot, always at the right time, and the timing of it, you know, you mentioned uh, getting the ball out of your hand and, and the quickness of it and being able to look at right, well, if you can trust that a guy's going to be there, you can look all you want to get the defenders to move, and then you turn and you throw it to that spot because you yeah. know the guy's going to be there. So uh, there's a lot that goes into that, whether it was you know Gonzalez or, or Eddie or Dante Hall or Sammy Parker or on down the line. So it was uh, yeah, it was a fun offense to be a part of. Man, not taking anything away from it, but there's a there's a 
the football nation named you in the you were 41st in all the quarterbacks that have ever played post merger area. They, okay. they, they, you were the 41st ranked quarterback as far as their uh, one to 50. So in all the quarterbacks who have played, even being named or mentioned in the top 50, um, I think is a, is a tribute. But I think 41 is still a little bit too low for you. I would I, I looked at it and I looked at the list and I marked out the names. So I who you put me ahead of? Well, thank I you. put you ahead of a lot of people. That maybe statistics because right. I played against you every day in practice. So I know the yeah. preparation. I know the results. I know what you did. So um, you ended up at 23. Okay. Nice. In the history hey, of football, post merger area, you are in my eyes the 23rd best quarterback to have ever taken a snap um, and played in the NFL. And I, I say that that was in 2012. And then in 2016, you were named by the Big Ten. You got the Tony Dungy, or not, maybe not Dungy, but the Dungy Thompson Humanitarian Award. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we, we say we're going to save some of the uh, nonprofit and stuff for the last segment, but I wanted to make sure I mentioned both of those awards because yeah. um, it, it's deserving. And, and that, when we talk was... about the who, the what, the where, um, the the accolades and the credentials are definitely deserving. Well, thank you, and and uh, I didn't know all those numbers, so thank you. I, I didn't. I don't look at the list, so uh, I I had no. I was not aware of that. So that's a, that's a nice honor. But the yeah, the Dunsey Thompson Award, named after Tony Dunsey uh, and Anthony Thompson. Anthony Thompson was one of my running backs at Indiana, uh, and has gone on to do to do great things. Played in the NFL for a while, and then and does a bunch of stuff for Indiana University and for the Big Ten. So. Two guys that I really look up to and being honored by the Big Ten with that award, you know, really, really meant a lot. Man, amazing. All right, we're going to take a quick break and uh, get back to other um, tidbits and facts. Maybe we're going to dig deep into the quarterback ranking. How did I get that 23 and why did I get that 23? We'll be right back to you after a quick break. You're listening to The Process, where the process is always greater than the product. What's up, Chiefs Kingdom? This is Tucker Franklin from KC Sports Network. Thank you for listening to today's show. Make sure to follow us and subscribe for more Chiefs content wherever you get your podcast. If you want to support us further, you can shop the latest collection of KC Sports Network merch in partnership with Sandlot Goods. You can find hats, shirts, hoodies, and more at sandlotgoods.com. You can click the link in the description for more information. Hey everyone, this is BJ Kissel. We'll get right back to the show. I just need a minute to share some important news, but as always, thank you for the support. The KCSN Foundation just launched our third annual Soul of KC Holiday Raffle and Toy Drive, and it benefits Operation Breakthrough's Christmas Store. This campaign has raised more than $35,000 over the past two years, helping provide a better Christmas for kids in our community. And it's simple. We sell raffle tickets for a chance to win any of the more than 20 fantastic prizes that we have available this year. It's things like a Travis Kelsey autographed full-size Chiefs helmet or a Chris Jones autographed jersey, a George Karloftis jersey. How about a Patrick Mahomes autographed mini helmet? We've got gift cards to local restaurants like Capitol Grill, Mission Taco Joint, or Third Street Social. You can find the full list of prizes on our social media accounts, or you can click the link in the description of this show. Again, All of the proceeds go to buying presents for Operation Breakthrough's Christmas store, and you can get tickets now through December 4th. Help us continue to help others, because that's what the KCSN Foundation is all about. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. The holiday season can be a time of joy, but also extra added stress. Whether from travel, dealing with family, or financial stress, the holiday season can bring extra burden onto your life. Sometimes just having someone to talk to can help remove some of those feelings that you may have over the course of the holiday season. Therapy can be an opportunity for you to talk through some of those feelings, have a chance to make you feel extra grounded, or keep you level-headed. It can help you respond positively to situations, it can help you set boundaries, and it can help you take some weight off your chest. If you feel extra stressed this holiday season and are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this holiday season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com KCSN today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot KCSN. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform 
with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Man, we right back at you. This is the process, where the process is always great in the product. Uh, once again, 10-year veteran Sean Barber, former linebacker in the NFL. I'm with my man Trent Green, Trent Greasy. Uh, we're going to talk about some quarterbacks. And in reference to I just want you to know, I, I, had a, I did a quick uh, telephone booth change. I put my man Alex Smith on, tribute to Alex Smith while he was here with the Chiefs. But uh, uh, we'll get back to this. But I'm Team Alex, and I'll let you know in a little bit why I'm Team Alex when we talk about some things going on with the media right now. But uh, man, I had a like I said, I referenced you being in my eyes the 23rd best quarterback to ever play the game, and I, I created a list. So I took those 22 names I had in front of you and I broke it up into my first tier and second tier. And my first tier doesn't include Pat Mahomes, and so I just I wanted to preface that because everybody else is kind of either done playing, finished playing. The majority of these guys are played in during my era. So, uh, and it's important that people understand this list of yours that you're about to say is guys that you followed and grew up with. So there are yes. some guys that aren't on the list that maybe are Hall of Famers, but that you didn't really see play. So this is your this is your list. Yeah, like uh, Bradshaw and Mc, um, Namath and Otto and Grant. Like you know, some names is not. Just yes. let's 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 yes. let's break down the list. So I'm a, I'm gonna list these eleven names, and I want you at some point to. Keep a track, and then if one of these guys maybe not should be in there, that's going to be one guy I'm going to take out of the list and put Pat Mahomes' name okay. on it. All right, so mine starts off with, man, uh, John Elway, Tom Brady, both of the Manning brothers, Eli and Peyton, uh, Joe Montana, uh, Marino, Troy Aikman, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and Steve Young. That was 11 quarterbacks who, in my opinion, are the top tier to have ever played the game. Yeah. And I, I want to take great. one of those names out. I want to take one of those names out and move them to the next tier. And I want to, I think Patrick Mahomes has done enough that we know he, he's going to be. Yes. Yes. If not him, he's going to be somewhere near. The, not that he's going to retire at the end of the season, yeah. but if he were to retire <laughs> at the end of this season, he's still in the <laughs> on that list. I was just telling you right now. Well, who would he take off? Who, who, who? I know it's hard to be a quarterback, and I know, man. Put me in this spot. I respect all those guys. I know the work that goes into playing the position. And we're not saying they're not good. I know the talent. I know. I'm just bumping them down to the next season. Guys are all Hall of Famers, or in certain cases, soon to be Hall of Famers. Um, I, I mean, if you're if you're making, I'm just asking. If you're making me pick one, I would I would probably have to say Eli. All right. And at this point in time, yeah, and that's—I yeah. mean, he's—he won two Super Bowls. Yes. Um, yep. You know, um, another guy that I really, really, really respect because of where his career started and where he finished is Steve Young. Mm. Um, but because of the USFL days and backing up Montana and kind of, I love what he did because. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a different story than mine, it's a similar story. And that listen, everything didn't come easy. He kind of had to work through his years in Tampa Bay, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he was backing up Joe. And then we, you know, so I like how he, uh, you know, finished strong. And, and like I said, he's a Hall of Famer. And I, I so if you if I had to pick one, if, Twist you, if I had to pick two, then then I would then I would probably pick Steve out of, out of those out of those names. Out like I said, those guys are all legends, like way above where where I was. So again, so 
I'm, I'm taking Eli out, and I'm taking Eli out because I'm telling you, man, when, like I, I played against him, I had opportunity. He benefited so much from the no-look pass. And when I call it a no-look pass, I mean looking over to the right side in cover two and making the safety and everybody think you're going to the right side or left side and then throwing to the complete opposite 40 yards in a barrel. He made Amani Tuma. And the rest of those Giants receiver cores look phenomenal. He made that offense go with Tiki, um, uh, Rondé Barber, I mean, and that offense. Um, I think he was there a little bit with Shockey when Shockey was a tight end and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he had a, such a long career. Plex. Plex, Plex yeah. But the, uh, he was the master of the no-look pass when it came down to the no-look bomb pass. Not just the, the Patrick Mahomes no-look pass, but I'm talking about 40, 50 yards deep airing it out and just having somebody waiting at the other the other side of the field to benefit from uh that no look pass. And he never he never got hit. He always knew how to like turn his shoulders away right. and never take that big hit, even though that was a, a phase of uh when you could get hit as quarterback. Um so I, and like again, he's not he, I just bump him down. I just bump him to the next yeah. eleven. Yeah. I'm gonna put Pat Mahomes right there. So we got that eleven out the way. So I so when I'm thinking of that and just hearing those names, um, so for me, the way I look at it is is like my top ten um, who I would who I would rattle off would be I want guy and that's why I've I've already put Patrick in my top ten uh, guys that changed the position mm. guys that that were able to do things that nobody else was doing like the Marino did things that nobody else was yes. doing Elway did things that nobody else was doing Montana definitely did that you know Brady. Uh, Peyton Manning, he changed the way the game, the way quarterbacks approach the game mentally, the way they handle the, you know, at the line of the scrimmage. Uh, Rodgers has done the same things. Mahomes has done the same thing. I mean, for me, I go out and I watch high school and college games now, and people are doing what Pat or try to do. And I'm like, no, you, unless you grew up doing those things, because when I've had those conversations with Patrick, it's why. Well, I don't even think about it because it's my background in baseball and what I did and, and playing the middle infield, you know, you're turning two and you're getting it over to the, you know, it's like, so he doesn't even think about the different throwing platforms. Now people are talking about, oh, you've got to train throwing at different platforms. You got to, you know, it used to be, you never would roll right and throw back left. You never threw across the grain. You And now it's commonplace. Like you go out and watch youth games and they're, oh, <laughs> like, yeah, they're doing- like, no, 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 wait, 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 don't, don't, don't do that. It's like, um, but they're training that way. And, and so that's why for me, like I even, you know, for me, Dan Fouts, I don't know, I don't know if Dan Fouts would be in my top 10, but Dan Fouts is a guy that changed the game. Like the air Coriel offense and what the chargers were doing in the eighties, the numbers he was able to put up, the numbers that offense was able to put up, it really changed the landscape of the game. And, and so he's the guy, you know, that I, you know, Johnny Unitas, Johnny Unitas, Roger Staubach, you know, it's like, I'm, but these are guys like you. Your list was guys that you watched. Like, I, I'm not old enough that Johnny Unitas, <laughs> but I'm old enough that I watch Roger right, Staubach. Right. I'm old enough that I watch Fran Tarkington. Fran Tarkington changed the way that you know he was the leading passer in the NFL before Marino passed him, <laughs> and now multiple guys have passed Marino because the, the game has changed. But you know, so I started looking at some of those guys. Like, who, who, who had such an impact that they changed the way the kids trained? They changed the way that offensive coaches you know, called plays or change, you know, so, so there's a lot that, uh, there's a lot of stuff that go, a lot of layers that go into that. I like that. Uh, yeah. That mindset, the game changer, the, yeah. the, 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 the aspect of being not just a leader on the field, not having the capability, not having the stats, but that something you did on the football field changed the game is one of the priorities to be one of your top 10. That's, that's beautiful, man. Uh, now, now I'm getting to that second tier. The second all tier, right, right. I didn't include fouls. And or some guys in the second tier changed the game too. It's just you can only have so many in the top ten. That's what makes it so hard, <laughs> man. So I got Big Ben, I got Matty Ice, Matt Ryan, I got Philip Rivers, uh, Drew Bledsoe, Andrew Luck, uh, McNabb, Cunningham, um, Warren Moon, Boomer Esiason, uh, Kurt Warner, and then Carson Palmer. Uh -huh. So, I, so I, I put those guys in a group of again guys I've actually watched them play. Been you know this yeah really feel like impacted the, the the two names I left out though were Jim Kelly and Russell Wilson for different totally different reasons. Yeah. Um, Jim Kelly was somebody when I started getting in front of football. 
just seeing him be the leader of a team that went to four consecutive Super Bowls yeah. to me meant he must be doing something right, right. at that position. At that, that position of leadership, uh, he must be doing something right. And then uh, Russell Wilson, I mean, he's he from my hometown, he's a hometown <laughs> guy, uh, representing the VA, uh, went out to yeah. Seattle, still two up, two down, throwing up all day, VA. And now he's uh, kind of got back, be back on the right ship when yeah. he comes out to be in Denver. Yeah. Um, being out there with uh, with Peyton and stuff, so uh, I, I don't know, man. Uh, of that, I like, yeah, I like I like a lot of those. Um, and some of those guys changed the way, like Warren Moon. Oh yeah, you know he changed the way that people. And Warren Moon and and Jim Kelly are kind of in that same era, mm-hmm. kind of that that uh, running Run, gun, running gun. Uh, yeah, just spread everybody out four wide shot. I mean that that really those those two were game changers in the way they did it, and and I. I have Jim Kelly in there because I, you know, four Super Bowls in a row and what they did with that offense. Um, yeah, so he's he's up there on my list. But I, I, I really like some of those names you had in that second tier because those guys, uh, you know, I, I love like a Big Ben, mm-hmm. right? And I, and I, not the long-term success that Tom Brady had, but I look at Big Ben's game when he first came in the league and how he changed as a quarterback and later in his career – uh, what he did and how he developed. Same thing with Brady. Like Brady, early in his career, those first couple Super Bowls, he was throwing. I mean, if he threw for three thousand yards, that would be a surprise. I mean, it was those first couple of. It wasn't, and then he changed his game. He continued to work at his game, and they continued to surround people around him. And really, the offense and the numbers and everything changed. So uh, Ben's a guy like that for me. I think early in his career and the way he developed and the way that offense developed around him with his skill set. Um, you know that yeah. There's some there's some guys with a, a ton of respect. Uh, as you said, Matty Ice, he came in the league flinging it from year one. Yes. Um, yes. What did he make? He made the playoffs like his first six years in the league or something like that. So, um, yeah, a lot of respect. And the guys who I'm throwing off that list to, to put Russell Wilson and Jim Kelly on that list, I'm throwing out Andrew Luck just because of the career was so short. Yes. Yes. When the opportunity was to continue playing, and his yeah, I mean, he actually did a phenomenal in the window of time that he played. But based on some of those guys on the list, it it was it, too short. Yeah, and then I'm throwing out Nasty McNabb. I mean, <laughs> former teammate of mine. I but I actually seen him uh, divide a locker room, and yeah. I I was a part of that when I was in Philadelphia. Um, Jeff George came. So you got some inside scoop. Yeah, I, yeah. I have you know I got a lot of respect for Donovan, but I don't, I don't know what was going on behind closed doors. Well, so I'm I'm about to tell you. <laughs> Jeff George comes and be a part of the team, and he okay. he's he's a bad I didn't boy. realize I didn't realize Jeff. Oh, Jeff Garcia, Garcia. Oh, Jeff Garcia. Okay, Jeff okay, Garcia okay. comes in right number seven comes yeah, in, oh, yeah. and he learns the offense, and it's the West Coast. Offense. And Jeff was a hell of a quarterback with the right? 49ers. and this is the yeah. end of his career, so he yes. doesn't have the arm strength, but it's just a warrior. Yeah, I mean he is battling. He's watching down the blitz and throwing it where it needs to be. Yeah. Not turning away from the blitz and running and oh yeah, up, he didn't up, shy away from not, any of that. Not not uh voiding or vacating the pocket early so he can show off his legs and all that kind of stuff. Ain't playing no guitars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what Donovan was a he wanted the light to always be Donovan. He wanted yeah. he wanted all the he took the blame, but he also wanted the credit. Yeah, Jeff Garcia couldn't give the Todd Pinkstons of the world his receivers of the world. Yeah. Uh, uh, Westbrook as the running back. You guys have James Thrash? Yes, JT Mutt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. JT yeah. Mutt. I mean, my guy. He was yeah. always c- yeah. given so much a credit, the credit and appreciation for the job they're doing. Yeah. The guys up front, the da 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 da. He never wanted anything. He was like, I'm just delivering the ball. I'm putting the ball and putting it in their hands, yeah. letting them go play. And the city of Philly kind of started to really like that. Yeah. The offensive line started wearing number seven hats. Really? And he created a big division. Between well, that is that, yeah. That's Team McNabb and, and, and Jeff. And I mean, we ended up losing at the end of the season. Um, I can't remember which year that was. I think that was the year we lost to the Saints, maybe, um, in the NFC Championship game. But we lost at the end of that season. But I saw internally a team get divided because the the head of the team, the, the leader, our quarterback, yeah. could not take it that somebody else. Right. Who was and so was he when Jeff had the I I, I don't remember though that was was Donovan hurt at the time and Jeff yes. went in yes. and played really well yes. and then did Donovan come back like later in the season he tried to <laughs> <laughs> the offensive line always went yeah. seven hats right you know, I think I think actually Donovan's mom might have said like social like got on like when a reporter or something it's like right. you know, like my baby's healthy now like, right. it, it just became an issue and yeah. 
Um, when you talk about the the humbleness and the like, man, one of eleven, and the, it's the team first mentality, and right. always just totally rooting for the guy behind you. To now he's running the team and being able to be humble enough to just realize, hey, right, I, yeah, he, like, I gotta support him like it's me out there, kind of thing. Right. That was that was void. That was not part of what was going on uh, yeah. when, when I was there in Philadelphia. So. I got about that, that was always that was that was so, always an important part for me. I don't I don't know how it was in the linebacker room. I don't know, you know, what it's like in the other position rooms, but in the quarterback room, uh, we generally always have you, you, you have your quarterback coach, but you generally always have the offensive coordinator. A lot of times, you have the head coach in there, mm-hmm. and so you're always talking about not only the game plan and and protections and how you want to handle certain situations because you have a lot of check with me's and plays you can check out of and get into the right situation. Uh, you're talking about game management and understanding it all. So for me, uh, even going back to our years in Washington, uh, it was always important to have that room, a strong room and try and support those guys as much as I can. And then when we got, uh, you know, the four years there in Washington, then when I got to St. Louis, uh, it was an important part for me to try and help Kurt as much as possible. Because at that point in time, they said, you know, Kurt's going to be our backup. Yeah. You know, so we, when I came in, I tried as much, and, and Kurt has made this point in, in several of his speeches and, and appearances, just, just, I didn't want it to be, a, you know, I felt confident in what I could do, so why not just try and support him? And so then when I did get hurt, um, and what he was able to learn from the offense and, and, you know, and then he took it a whole nother step, right? He, the numbers he did and put up, but I always thought it was important. And even in, in Kansas city, every, every team I ever was on, I couldn't understand. You don't control who plays, right? The coach ultimately decides who plays. So why not support everybody and get everybody ready to play? And if they decide to play the other guy, well, it stinks for me, but Mm -hmm. if I get my chance, I'm going to be ready to play because I've put in the work don't I don't know that that just never that would that was always my approach whether I was the third guy which I was the third guy for six years <laughs> or the starting guy I always wanted that room to be strong and to be as supportive as as possible yeah and I think coming in not being a guy who's day one started like some of the guys right come in now they never have the ability to learn that they that 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 availability and that opportunity to have to be the third guy Right. Throwing to the scout team, throwing to the backups, and doing yeah. all the extra. I mean, I told Norv. So Norv Turner was our head coach oh, yeah. in in Washington, and uh, and I tell Norv all the time. I say, listen, I I appreciate the fact that you signed me off the street because I was on this. I mean, I was on the street when they signed me, and because uh, uh, I'd been released from the Chargers and released from uh, the CFL, the BC Lions, and so when he signed me, I was literally on the street, and so it was like, um, you know, I appreciate that opportunity. I wish you had started me. <laughs> I wish you had played me. A little bit sooner because I felt like I was ready, um, but uh, but when I was ready, when I did get out of there, I I felt I knew how I ha- wanted to handle the locker room. I knew I wanted to handle the huddle. I knew how I wanted to run an offense, how to handle an off season, how to deal with the media, how to deal with charity work, how to handle my family in terms of all those outside things that come into it. So uh, I felt like I was very prepared for it. You know, at that point in time, I just. We should have been a little bit, <laughs> a little bit sooner, but uh, it's all good. It's part of the journey. It's part of the journey. Um, so right or, now, or part of the process. Well, we're gonna. Yes, right. It was part <laughs> of the process. We're gonna get into why I'm wearing this this jersey right now. The, the Team Smith, Alex Smith. I'm Team Smith. Um, earlier this week, man. Yep. Listen, Tom Brady made some comments where he said, uh, "Let me get. Let me make sure I quote him the right way." Um, Tom Brady says that you know. Uh, mediocre. He uses the word mediocre. Right. The NFL. Current day uh, NFL is mediocre. There's there's a lack of excellence being displayed on the field, and he blames man. He blames let me see. He blames college development. He blames the ability of the overall NFL, the the normal quarterback, uh, lack of mentorship. Uh, the pro concepts and styles are too complicated for the guys. Uh, drafting and starting them early. Um, the D line is getting pressure on them before they can go through their – I mean, so it gives a list of examples and reasons why he calls the NFL at this point in time mediocre. Okay. And 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 then we have on the other side, Alex Smith. Uh, he gets on there and says, hey, man, hey, Tom, you got to be understanding that in your era of playing, the division you played against stunk. <laughs> it was caught awful. And it was no competition in your own division. So those are six wins after training camp you pretty much marked out all right, we're six and zero, and we haven't even got the week one yet. Right. Uh, so the, the, this is the tale of two. 
and he you know, said that with Rex Ryan two seats away from him. Who was, was that? Was that? Was that not priceless? <laughs> yes, it was. That was. His face was just like, "Are you kidding me? I'm sitting right here." Yeah, yeah. man. So, so the, to know the TB12 played in one of the most, uh, I think he called it, uncompetitive divisions in the history of football. <laughs> um, talking about the AFC East during that, you know, uh, that run he had with the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, I, I think everybody at some point you got to either look at it and be Team Tom or Team Alex because. It, it makes a good point. It makes a great point right. about how quick quarterbacks are giving the reins and telling them, hey, is your team go run with it? We had right. uh, two quarterbacks between Bryce Young, um, uh, C.J. Stroud, C.J. Stroud, both. Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson, yep. um, even the guy at Tennessee now. Yep. Um, Will Levis. Will Levis. Yep. So all those guys in their in their rookie year have been just giving the reins and saying, hey, you know, almost sink or swim type mentality. Right. So, so it, it does go back and forth. To, you know, TB, I think, has some good points that he was trying to make. Right. But I think that the, the statement of calling the NFL mediocre, uh, now that he's not a part of it no more, and then talking about how the quarterback position is now being protected when I think it was called the Tom Brady rule. I think that there, there was <laughs> right. a rule made up to protect there the quarterback. Are, just like there were Jordan rules, there definitely were Brady rules. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. now taking accountability for for the fact that, you know what, you're you know, lobbying for right. You know, roughing the passer calls, it pretty much led to where we are tonight. That I mean, that's the foundation of where we are right now with the quarterback being almost yeah. overly protected. Right. And now he wants to kind of, um, um, you know, slide back from the the, the the Tom Brady rule and say that the NFL is mediocre. I, I kind of liked, I, I think that my man Alex Smith, I think that the fact that he just, I mean, almost out of nowhere. Right. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that was, that was, um, uh, it definitely threw me. I know that's, that's generally not Alex's style, but he like threw him. Do it out there. Yeah. So if you if you had to say your your point of view was in, in the, I ain't gonna say you had to be Team Tom or Team Alex. Yeah. But which of those point of views do you feel like you're more aligned with well, as far as your thoughts about the? Well, I'm I'm you know I'm gonna go right in the middle. Okay. I, I mean I just I just think there's a little bit of both in there, and and I'll give you my reasons why. Uh, I think if you look at the NFL this season, there have been ten starting rookie quarterbacks that have started at least one game. You're not going to be that developed as a rookie quarterback, and if there's ten of them, I mean, the Devito in 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 New York, yeah. it's like all these guys weren't weren't the C.J. Strouds or the Bryce Youngs or the Anthony Richardsons, and you look at the injuries to the starting quarterback. So, um, you know, who's out for the year? Anthony Richardson's out for the year. Deshaun Watson's out for the year. Uh, Joe Burrow's out for the year. Kirk Cousins is out for the year. I mean. These guys, you know, you talk about quarterback, like Joe Burrow is an MVP candidate every year. The numbers that Kirk Cousins puts up uh, and what that offense has been able to do has, has been phenomenal in his time in, in Minnesota. So you start, and Anthony Richardson was was really playing well. He had a couple of injuries throughout the course of the season, but the fact that his season is done. Deshaun Watson was just starting to play like everybody remembered Deshaun Watson playing. Uh, struggled at the beginning of the year, but was just starting to get things going when now all of a sudden he's down. For so all of a sudden you throw these young, inexperienced quarterbacks in there. Then I'm going to take it back to the collective bargain agreement. When they took away the offseason, yep. and listen, I, I'm all for the players. I wish <laughs> I wish when we were there we had some of these rules, the, the, the rules protecting players, especially quarterbacks. I wish those were there. Uh, but some of the off-season stuff, right? Back it was voluntary, yeah. but it was air quotes voluntary, mm-hmm. right? And and so now with the CBA, there's only a certain amount of days you can be in the facility. There's only a certain amount of days you can be in the facility and talking to a coach. There's only a certain amount of days you can watch film with the coach. There's only a certain amount of days you can have padded practices or practice at all. Um, there's videotape, video cameras everywhere. So as soon as a guy steps on the field, that timer starts. And the NFLPA is all over it because they're like, listen, you're only allowed – on this day, you're allowed two hours and 30 minutes. This is the day you're allowed two hours and 10 minutes. This day, you're allowed an hour and 45 minutes. As soon as that first player walks out there, it starts. So, you know, our era, even though I wish it was shorter, I wish some of our days weren't 12- and 14-hour days. <laughs> oh, man. You had the walkthroughs. You had the practice times. You had the reps. You had all that stuff. But I think it made the game better. Yeah. You know, I remember when, when the CBA first came out and the adjustments – talking to the John Harbaugh's and, and talking to the Bill Belichick's and, and the Mike Tomlin's and say, you know, how are you having to adjust these things? Andy Reid, how are you adjusting these things? Because now your off season's a lot shorter. Your time on the field is like, you know, how, and they're like, you have to adjust to the game. That's what the rules are. And that's what you have to adjust to. So I think, 
I think there's a little bit of that on both sides. I do also think the AFC East was at that time during Tom's <laughs> era. There was, there was, so that's why I fall a little bit in the middle. I think when you have the, the injuries to the starting quarterbacks, the number of rookie quarterbacks that are playing, and the lack of time that guys have within the facility, both offseason and in-season, practice time, all those things, uh, I think, yeah, I think it does. I like that, it. That's where I fall in the middle. All right, well, no, so. no matter what side of the fence you fall on, whether you're Team Brady or Team Alex Smith, um, the overall arching goal is that it doesn't affect the integrity of the game. And we don't want to get to a point where people are using the excuses or the reasons that Tom Brady says in some form of saying that that in some form is going to affect the outcome of a game or affect the uh, level of play of the game or the, the points being scored or uh, passing or any, uh, uh, any level of excuses because the integrity of the game is something that always has to be protected. And so in the last segment, we're going to talk about that, the integrity of the game, uh, maybe some things that me and Trent think could be changed, some tweaks to the system, uh, maybe some rules or some penalties, some fractions that could change the game, make it a better game for everybody. Um, and we'll do that in the third segment. We'll get right back at you. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Man, welcome back to the process. The process is always greater than what it produces. And so with that, man, we just want to jump back into, uh, we were speaking before we took a break about the integrity of the game and how the the nature of the game with with certain calls being made, uh, made or not made, and there are ways that, I mean, we've watched a lot of football throughout the years. Is it anything or uh, or any way you think the game could be adjusted just to make it a more uh, entertaining game or make it a more um, where, where, you know, the, the, the better team wins or anything like that without affecting the overall you know, flow of play? I think I think there, there there's a few things. Uh, I, and I know uh, – you know, as far as challenging plays, I said that's been an ongoing battle. What can be challenged? What can't be challenged? You know, Bill Belichick brought up probably five years ago or more that why not challenge every play? If yes. you got three challenges, challenge every play. Uh, the problem is some of those plays are a judgment call. Mm-hmm. So pass interference is a judgment call. Roughing the passer is a judgment call. Holding can be, uh, is that holding or that holding? I mean, it's like, so it's, some of those, um, there is a human factor to it. One For one referee, that is a holding call or a DPI. For another official, it's not a DPI. It's actually OPI because they saw the guy push off first. But then there's that uh, the back and forth between the receiver and the defensive back. So uh, I do think that, uh, you know, he brought up the fact of challenging. I do think there are some ways. Uh, the league is so valuable right now, right? The shield is valuable and each individual team, the value of each team's. Why not have a stationary camera on the goal line at every stadium. Make it make it mandatory. Every stadium has to have a, a camera at the goal line, a camera on the back line, and you could even set it up so there's cameras on each sideline, uh, depending on how many, you know, because the TV networks, depending on what crew you are, you're limited to the amount of cameras you have. So certain crews only have five or six cameras. Certain crews have 10 to 12 cameras. And for a Super Bowl, there's 20 plus cameras because they're everywhere. So make it a mandatory thing. And I think some coaches have brought this up where you have just a stationary camera from the stadium that's going down, you know, the goal line going down the back line, you know, those are scoring plays. Those are, those are things, um, you know, also it's been brought up about having a chip in the football. You know what, if it got to the first down marker, all you got to do is look to see where the chip, did the chip cross get to the, you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, the chains and, and I mean, I'd like, I'm nostalgic. (laughs) You know, I, I like the old, a lot of the, the old stuff. Um, so I don't know if I'd want to see the chains go away, the drama of taking the chains out there. And you're like, wait a second, the guy just moved the ball. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, so, uh, you know, some of that is the drama that goes into it. So using the chip, uh, if you're looking to speed up play, you could just go buy a, buy a computer chip in the ball. Um, you know, so yeah, there are, there are definitely some ways that you can, you can adjust it. But I think that from a referee standpoint, I know there's a big, big, cry battle cry for um having full-time referees yes yes um some of that is just experience some of that is working with the same crew some of it is just uh you know understanding you know the give and take of it um like i said on some of those plays dpi opi holding roughing the quarterback some of those things uh, it's not just black and white man when you talked about the ref the thing that popped up in my mind is that um having refs spend 
their off season together watching film, reviewing film. Because like when you when you talk about being a quarterback, you talked about earlier. You talked about Eddie Kennison being on the same page. Kind of, it's important for the wide receivers to see things through your eyes as the quarterback. Well, if you're the head ref for any crew, the way to make things consistent is to watch them together, talk about plays and how they're unfolding and what they're seeing. And if every group and every crew had to like watch a certain amount of film together and talk about it, you would see some type of level of consistency from game to game, from crew to crew. And I think now what you see in the NFL is that there's a certain crew that gets, you know, that calls, you know, 20 some holding calls every game. And then there's another crew that only calls four or five. Right. And then the false starts, obviously that's been a problem here with Kansas City is that uh, Lawan Taylor gets called for false start for doing the same thing we see 10 other teams do on Sunday. And the referee in that crew feels like that's not a call. Right. But our, our, our guys being uh, kind of villainized for it, and he's, he's now the poster child for the tackle leaving early. Right. So every crew is kind of like uh, highlighting him and being ready to call it against him. And then we watch other games throughout the day where the same movement ain't being called. Right. And so I think that's what the consistency from game to game, from crew to crew, could be. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing that I hear from players and coaches is the consistency part. And I, and I even hear from fans. I mean, that's the that's what we all want, right? Yes. Just call it consistently. Whether or not you're going to be able to get consistency throughout the cruise, because I think that I think that's a difficult thing to do is get consistency throughout the cruise because everybody's personality traits, everybody's way they look at a play is a little bit different. But from crew to crew, if you're going to call this in the first quarter, you need to call in the second, third, and fourth. Yes. Don't all of a sudden call something in the fourth that you didn't call the first half of the game. And you know, it's so I think that's what people, that's what fans, that's what players, that's what coaches. Okay. How are you going to allow me to defend him? Today, you're allowing me to be more hands-on. You're allowing me to be more physical. Oh, today, you're going to call that yeah. like the middle of the first quarter? Then I got to adjust my game because you're, I know that's how you're going to call it. So I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, players, fans, coaches, they just they want that consistency. As far as the film watching, uh, a lot of times after games, I'm on flights with the officials because we're all going home, trying to get home. A lot of times those officials are watching the game that they just called on the flight to wherever they're going next, if they're making a connection or whatever it may be. So they're watching the film right away. Now, when they're on their own during the week, I've talked to a number of the officials, they're watching film all week and they're getting evaluations from the league office and from the head officials about the job that they did and the pluses and the minuses and what you need to work on. Now, as far as them watching film together, I do know Saturday nights, when they finally all get back together, they'll sit down as a crew and they'll have tape to go through. Hey, these are the things we did well. These are the things we need to do better. These are the things that we need to work on. This is, you know, we need more of an emphasis here. We missed this call, you know. So they do get together on Saturday night um, and do those kind of evaluations. But to your point, that's only one, you know, that's only one day a week for a couple <laughs> hours. It's not like every day. So uh, I think if they do make the, you know, the full-time official yes, to stay, yes. um, not that everybody's going to live in the same town and we'll do it in person, but now, you know. With Zoom and everything. This, this, yeah. this, this is a, a constant, like, workshop. Yes. Of yep. redefining certain calls and redefining how, like, yes, man, like, there is holding on every play, but as long as it's inside the body frame and once the defenders start to pull away, well, that's what, like, if it's being told to them over and over and you're watching film where you're showing it happen and you're showing it not happen, uh, uh, again, I get, you know, a little bit, you know, my, 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 the hair on my neck raises a little bit when I see a flag come out. When an offensive player runs up into a defensive guy and the offensive person's route creates the contact. Right. And you know that the offensive guy is going to create separation. Right. And so you only the only thing I can do now is to tug and hold. Yeah. Because you've 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 right. You've created the contact. Right. And and now if I don't stay attached to you, then it's, it creates too much separation right. for the for the pass to be completed. So it's like, if you're going to allow the offensive guy to run into me, then you got to allow me to regain whatever leverage I lost. And that's where I, I brought that up in, in, in my games is the defensive player is allowed his space. Yes. Like, it's like in basketball, right? You can have a charge. Mm -hmm. I mean, offensive player, it's, it's a charge. Like, I admit, so that's not called very, very, very rare. If, if, if at all, it's, you know, it's like, wait a second, like the offensive guy. So um, I know it's rare for me to defend the defenders. <laughs> so, so, yes, I also, so I defend the defenders that way. Uh, the other one is um, when uh, uh, 
you know, you, you see that, that tug back and forth. And it's like, well, wait a second. That guy was extending his arm. And I just held on. And, and, I, and I just held on. And then it's like, well, wait, if, if I, if I'm not holding on, you know, they'll lock up, you know, that whole thing. It's like, if I'm not, then that's going to get pushed away. You know, um, Chase, Jamal Chase does it every time. Like he's the poster <laughs> child. Jamal Chase does it every time. I think the playmaker made it famous. Um, Michael Irvin made it famous to, at the top of a route, always give a little nudge to create that space. And that's what, I mean, those guys, you get to that point where the pass is so accurate right? and on time, there, there, there is no defending a on-time accurate right. pass to begin with. Right. Without even getting yes. the space, there, there's no defense. If you're uh, throwing it on time, you're actually throwing it at the back of their head. Yes. You're throwing it to the spot where they're supposed to be. Before they so break. Before they even, yeah. And that that's where the rep part of it comes back in. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. whether uh, I can list any number of receivers. Each each receiver has a little bit different body language in the way they run routes. And I would know that when, you know, so-and-so is going to give me like a double shake or so-and-so is just going to give me one dip and then go. And I just would know. And that's just a rep thing. Yeah. That's a rep thing. And and it, with that, let's piggyback on that because there's two different mindsets in Kansas City I've heard. Some people feel like we have eight eligible receivers. And so because the receivers are always new out there, right? there could be a play or series where Patrick is forced to kind of figure out who he's throwing to. Right. And that's going to determine like, all right, who am I throwing to? And he runs the route a little different than the next person. Versus if there was only four guys in rotation, like we saw, I, I mean, just to admit it, our, our wide receivers had a better game the last game when it was less guys out there. Right. Uh, we saw a lot more from uh, Rashi Rice. We saw uh, more intentionality from even like Noah Gray and Watson. So MVS, like uh, Scott Moore had a better game. So everybody seemed to raise up their productivity, even though uh, Miko was out, Tony was out. Um, so maybe less is more. Yeah, it's you know, and I remember bringing this up to to Patrick in training camp, doing the preseason games. Just there's no way you can get all the reps with the with the amount of amount, but you just can't. Yeah. I mean, you're not allowed that much practice time. First off, and you're not, you know, your arms not, you don't have unlimited reps in your arms. So uh, he seemed to think it wasn't going to be that big a deal. I think we've seen that it is maybe a little bit bigger deal. Um, and that's that's the answer he has to give. I mean, as the starting quarterback, that's that's what you have to say. Um, and I and I think Andy does a good job of having different packages for those different receivers and for their skill set. You've been with Andy, so you know what he's like as a play caller, and he puts guys in position. But it's hard to get that many reps. Yeah, like the reason that Patrick and Travis are the way they are is because of reps. I mean, those two have how many millions? And I'm going to say millions of throws those two have made over the course of their careers together, uh, maybe hundreds of thousands. But uh, it's, you know, you know the body language. You know they're going to weigh, they're going to work in the zone. You know that improv that's going to happen. They're just on the same page when uh, when it isn't that it's, you know, it's hard to get that much work when you have that many different guys. Yeah, and I, and I, uh, I think I spent some time talking with Kevin Locker. He was talking about, man, receivers release. Like every receiver doesn't release the same way. Right. And initially, if I'm playing the position of quarterback and I expect you to do an inside, really flat release based off of the leverage the defensive guy's running, and you do a vertical release, I'm a little unsure if you're going to run the route. Like, like the route I think you're going to run, right. even though I know you know the offense, but the way you released just seems a little off. Right. It, it, it would make me hesitate before. Because right. look how you're saying Really great quarterbacks throw it at your head before you even break. Yes. Well, if you did a release off the line of scrimmage, did it, it just so, something in me just didn't feel like that was the the best release in that scenario? Well, I probably already extra out. Like now, you're not on my priority. Right. Like I'm. Right. I, I'm gonna watch this one on film one time before I actually <laughs> throw it because yeah, you know, once you release it, it's anybody's ball kind of thing. So, um, I think that the 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 frequency of working with the young guys over and over again. Um, is going to make this this offense just continue to grow and be even more effective the second half of the season in the playoffs. Um, and so, just, well, just like you know, in the previous seasons, the talk about the defense, right? It's like the defense got better throughout the course of the season because they were young guys last year. The young DBs, the young DBs at the beginning of the season were different than the DBs we saw at the end of the mm-hmm. season. Uh, when Spags first got here, uh, the safeties understanding what they needed to do because he likes to use a lot of safeties. They yes. drop him in the box. They put me in different blitz packages. Uh, we've seen a lot of that. We saw this last week's game against the Raiders with uh, with Justin Reed McDuffie. They've been using a lot of different combinations where they drop out the backside. It's like 
you try and cause confusion as much as you can. And so I think just like we saw the defense develop over the last few seasons, mm-hmm. especially the, the two Super Bowl seasons, um, as you saw Spags getting used to his players and the players getting used to Spags and how the plays were called, I think I think we're we're probably falling into that same thing with the offense this year. We're just not used to the offense having any yeah. kind of any, and I hate to say struggles because they're still <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're, top top ten in yardage. Right. We were uh, talking about that like the struggles. The last game is like, oh, what's wrong with Pastor? I go, I think he's still like top five in, <laughs> in like everything. Yeah, like it's like where our expectations have gone so high, and I'm saying our as in the entire league, yeah, uh, in football fans in general. You know, it's like, oh, what's wrong with Patrick? He doesn't, you know. Yeah. Uh, he's fine. It's okay. It's And and like you said, I just, the offense will get better as the season goes. And I, be- I believe so. I do too. And we were getting ready to play. We just took care of the Raiders. Uh, obviously, we had a, a rough first quarter defensively against the Raiders. And again, you're going against Devontae Adams, um, not just him, but um, uh, Myers. And they they ran a stack release over and over again in those first couple drives. Yep. And what you know about defensively is when, when, when offenses run a stack release, there's like six different ways that stat can unfold. Right. And you have to be ready against every defensive communication. How does that six different ways right. affect how we pick it up? And we were over it in that first quarter. We just, it, the communication wasn't right. We were right. just, you know, one guy was a little off and, and I think Reed said, hey man, I need to be better on a couple of those. I was mm-hmm. I was communicating one thing and I played it a different way type thing. And, and, that, and that happens in defense. But the second you get to come to the sideline and say, all right, listen, we're going to treat inward motion as it was zip motion no matter what. Mm-hmm. That clears it all up to get through the game, and then you're able to go just continue to go back and play, and we locked them down again right. ever since then. And now there's a whole different set of receivers coming up. Uh, I actually think that the Green Bay Packers and their receivers will cause a little bit more uh, – not struggle, but a little bit more uh, a tougher assignment because I think across the board – with uh, Reed and Watson and Dobbs, um, their receivers, all three of those guys have been up and down on who is the alpha, who's 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 the guy you need to stop in in Green Bay's passing arsenal. Each one of them have had big games, and this Jalen Reed kid is kind of, I mean, he's kind of redefining their slot position, kind of like, uh, uh, man, who's the guy that used to be with Aaron Rodgers, the, the guy he took with him to Green Bay? Oh, Cobb. Wait, wait, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, 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 the, he's the new Randall Cobb for them. Um, and then Watson is definitely the deep threat and Dobbs is the possession receiver. Um, but unlike the other offenses we faced where there was a true alpha and we had, you know, Sneed just take away that one guy right. where everybody else kind of, you know, worried about the rest of them. Uh, Green Bay's offense when it comes to the passing game is, is kind of an equal opportunity thing in love. I think he has evolved since yes. the last time we saw him. And that's a great thing for Green Bay. Yeah, I uh, I don't think it's going to be maybe as easy as some people think because I do think Jordan Love is playing better the last couple of weeks uh, and and um, the different weapons that he can spread the ball around to. Um, you know, it's it's a young, really young, inexperienced team. They've dealt with a bunch of injuries. They've dealt with a young roster, um, but they have kind of hit their stride the last couple of weeks. I, I thought they played extremely well on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, they look like a much different team. We had them earlier in the year, uh, our crew did, uh, and they didn't look very good. Mm-hmm. And and watching them on Thanksgiving, I was like, oh, wait a second. They're starting to figure some things out. So, um, yeah, I do think that the the Chiefs, the, the Chiefs have their hands full this week. Yeah, well, beating the Broncos, beating the Chargers, and then obviously beating Detroit, which everybody is kind of, you know, Detroit is one of the better teams in the NFC uh, this year. I think the Green Bay Packers should be given a little bit more respect than a seven-and-a-half point uh uh, spread so I mean that, that that's gonna do it man oh we're gonna just real quick let's talk about a, uh, your foundation okay uh, yeah. Trent Green Foundation uh, the work you're doing with the Ronald McDonald House yes. as far as charities and the golf tournament yeah we've been we've been doing the golf tournament now gosh for a long time probably 2010 is when we kind of partnered up together so I had my own golf tournament when I was uh when I was playing uh when you get done playing uh some things disappear <laughs> So uh, I, my wife and I have worked with Ronald McDonald House since back in our Washington days. All right. So back in uh, 1995 was our first time working with Ronald McDonald House Charities. Um, we built a great relationship with them in Washington. We got to St. Louis. We did the same thing, came to Kansas City. We've, we've established that and continue that relationship with them since 2001. And then in 2010, we partnered up our, our golf tournaments uh, together. Uh, and then it's been a huge success. And uh it just continues to grow and gets better, and and we've made a 
a ton of money for the house. Uh, I want to say we're over $3 million now mm. in the course uh, of the years that we've raised for uh, for the house just through the golf tournament. Uh, we've done a bunch of stuff over the years for Children's Mercy Hospital, um, several things for the YMCA. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we uh, Phoenix family, uh, we have multiple reading rooms uh, at some of the Phoenix family facilities just trying to help um, you know, youth become better readers and stay in school and stay out of trouble. And, yes. you know, so, uh, there's, there's a lot that can be done and, and, you know, we're trying to, whatever little amount that is, we're, we're trying to as best we can. Man. Well, amazing, uh, job you've done on and off the field, not only with your family, uh, mentorship, uh, also in the community here in Kansas city. So if you're business, um, and you're trying to get involved, make sure you reach out to at Trent green, number 10, um, on his social media, but also look up the Trent Green uh, Foundation um, in their uh, golf tournament with the Ronald McDonald House. Definitely support that in a big way. Obviously, as an ex-player, I always come. I try to make both days, both the a.m. and the p.m. Have many flights he has, I, I'm like, I'm always willing to play. Uh, whatever team I'm on always has a great time because I tell the best stories of any of the uh, celebrities playing this tournament. <laughs> So, uh, and I always ask them that same question. At, hey, at some point at some time, time, somebody in the course of the day is going to come up and ask me. Hey, Trent, who is your favorite non-offensive teammate ever in your career? Who is the guy that on the defensive side, you just, man, it was just a pleasure to be in your locker room. You just, man, kind of like a brother from another mother. <laughs> and somewhere around so, the corner, I'm hiding. So for years, that was always the question. But now, the last two years, the question is, it's no longer like, who's your favorite defensive player? Now it's, hey, who's your favorite teammate ever? This who's teammate ever. Who's the, who's the guy that, you know, you always can, uh, uh, that guy, right? That guy. So, <laughs> And I'm always somewhere in the room yes. with a water balloon or something right, ready right. to throw at him if he, if he says the wrong answer. Because it's me. I am the best teammate he ever had. Win, lose, or draw. I take it, taking it to the grill. A lot of years together, Washington yes, and KC. So, and then we played against each other for a few years. Also, played against each other, yeah. and, and actually, man, coming to KS City uh, when I was on my recruiting visit, I was a free agent um, after a year in Philadelphia. They brought me in, and I actually had the uh, had the opportunity to go to uh, Trent's house, and and that was like the meet and greet for all the players. Kind of <laughs> when it was time for to have the free agents in town and stuff, and so having to see his face and his yeah. family again, I kind of knew that. I mean, if he liked this area, I was definitely willing to at least give him the chance. And now I'm. Hey, look, he's still here. 15. He loves it. I mean, 20 some years later. Yeah, 20. Yeah. You know, it is, my first, yes. 20 years later, I've raised five boys and a girl. We're part of the Blue Valley School District. Um, I got a son playing for the Royals now, yeah. stuff like that, man. So uh, my son play, uh, working for the Chiefs. So just uh, so, so thankful uh, to be just a chapter in his story of life. Uh, like again, man, he's doing an amazing job um, as a father and as a friend. So we we appreciate your time yeah. having you on the show. So, all right, man, that'll do it. This is the process. Where the process is always greater than what it produces. Uh, again, Sean Barber, ten uh, year NFL bit. My man, my man Trent Green, a mountain of a man. Uh, we'll be back with y'all next week uh, with more. Thanks again to the McGinnis Group, our title sponsor. We out. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.